This message is from Living Rock Church, and we trust you'll be really equipped, envisioned, and encouraged as you listen today. Echoing us, rather just adjust the sound for a minute. Um, you know that last scripture that, that Stefan brought about being in the throne room of God. When you've seen, when you've glimpsed into the throne room of God, you're never the same again. It changes you in a fundamental way. And I want to encourage everybody in this room, when we spend time worshipping before the throne, don't let anything hold you back, but be desperate to press right into the centre and to glimpse that glory with the eyes of your heart, that these eyes would be shut, but these eyes would be wide open. Because it will change you fundamentally and nothing in your life will ever be the same again. So much so that you're just desperate to get back to that place again and addicted to the presence of God. So I just want to encourage you in that. I'm going to persist with the echoey microphone for a short while and just thank the Lord that David isn't here. (laughs) David and Deborah up in Wakefield at the minute, ministering to the church up there and and, um, blessing them. Praise God. You guys happy for me to crack on? Okay. So, we're on the third uh, topic, if you like, in our kingdom series, Kingdom 1, 2, 3. And today's topic is devouring the Word of God, the infallible Word of God, unlike our bulletins. Um, And uh, it's my absolute pleasure to bring this to you today with a bit of echo, just for effect. (laughs) Just to give some gravitas to the Word and boom it out there. It's a pleasure to talk about the Word of God because the Word of God is His gift to us. It's the thing that brings us life. It's the thing that sustains us. It'll be with us forever. It's not just for this life, it's for the next. Did you realise that? We don't get rid of our Bibles when we go to be with the Lord, but the Lord wants them to be written on our hearts and the Word of God will be written on our hearts for eternity. You know, this series that we're doing on um, disciplines, if you like, of kingdom life, kingdom basics, we really want this to be a simple thing for you. It's not complex, it's simple. You know, when I look back at Ruth speaking a couple of weeks ago, did a fantastic job talking about prayer. And you know, the thing that hit me the most was just the fact that prayer is just seeking the presence of God. And that the weight of his presence would be greater than all those other things in our lives. And, and when you put it that way, that, that, I can do that. That's nice and simple. You know, Rich spoke last time about fasting. And for me, that was a tremendous blessing because it's something I'm looking for greater revelation in. It's not something I find easy, but it's something that Rich was able to make much more simple for me. And I just carried away from that, the fact that there are things in my life that bring me comfort and there are times when I need to break the power of those in my life. And I need to show those things that they don't rule my life. But actually, it's my spirit within me that is to be in charge. It's my spirit within me that is to rule and subjugate this physical body that I'm still inhabiting. And today, I want to keep it nice and simple. Um, The main thing, I think, for me, is that you catch something. Because although this is simple, these are not just five steps to doing this, three steps to doing that. It's something you need to catch in your heart when we're talking about praying in the presence of God, when we're talking about fasting before the Lord, when we're talking about devouring the word, when we're talking about giving, 
if you don't catch it in your heart, there's no point doing it at all. Otherwise, we're just going through motions together. And if you've been in this church any time at all, you'll know that we're not interested in going through motions. We're interested in catching things in our heart so that they change us fundamentally and make us the people of God. So I want to start today, if you can just pop onto the next slide, with, I've got four main points, but to start with, if you look at the circle in the middle, I want to give you what I think are ten myths about the Word of God. Because I think there are lots of myths out there about how we read the Word and the the benefit of the Word to us. And I want to just give you my ten myths, if you like, to break some of these, um, well, to break some of these myths and sometimes taboos as well. The first one is this. The first myth. God wants us to sit and suffer the word every day. Okay? So let's just get that out there. God does not want you to sit and suffer the word of God every day like eating your porridge or doing your chores. That is not God's intention at all. Number two. The more we read the word, the more holy we become. That's just not true, folks. You're never going to get any more righteous than you are right now, right here in this moment even after a lifetime of service to the Lord. And the word won't make you more holy. But the more you read the word, the more often the word will read you. And we'll talk about that a bit more as we come on. Third thing is this. We can live on yesterday's manna from the word. What we get from the word is for today. It's our daily bread. We can't live on it tomorrow. Some people are not living on just yesterday's word, they're living on last year's word, or last decade's word. And that's not how God wants us to live. Here's another one. Some translations are better than others. Did you ever get that impression? Some translators are better than others. Not true. More difficult translations to read are read by more spiritual people. Not true. People who find reading the word easy are more spiritual than the rest of us. Not true. People who can quote from the word are more spiritual than the rest of us. Not true. The Pharisees were able to quote the word verbatim. And they were just like whitewashed tombs, the Lord said. Here's another one. Less is more. Less is more. You ever met those people that say, well, I don't need to read 15 chapters a day. I can just read a verse. And I find that the Lord speaks to me through that. And I put my Bible down and I get on with my day. Or some people, more is more. More is not always more. And less is not always more either. It varies day to day. Number eight. You don't have to be super intelligent to understand the word of God. Some of the most um, fantastic saints throughout history were not intellectuals, folks, but they were simple men of God who understood spiritual things through their spirits. Number nine, you don't have to go to Bible college to get lots out of the Word of God. It's not true. Number ten, the Bible is infallible. Shock, horror. It's not the Bible that's infallible. It's God who's infallible. It's not the ink, it's not the paper, it's not the physical book. It's the God who wrote the word. Sometimes we get caught up in thinking about this physical book and we forget that it's the God who wrote the word. God is infallible 
And he has given us a word, and he has overseen its creation, and he has overseen its translation to make sure that what you have in your hand is the word of God. So if you trust God, that he's infallible, you can trust the word of God. And if anyone tells you anything other than that, they're questioning God's faithfulness in delivering his word to you right there in your lap. Okay? So all these people that are questioning the infallibility of the word, they're questioning God's authority himself. Okay, do you like that? Ten myths. Don't forget them. Let's move on. So let's ask a question. Why do we have the word? Why has God given us the word in the first place? I think it's a good question to ask. God gave us the word. God obviously had an intention for us. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given us the word. Why did he give us the word? Well, the Bible itself tells us that God chooses to express himself through his word. In other words, it's God's self-revelation. God has given us this word and said, this is who I am. This is who I am. God has chosen to relate to us as his creation and to express himself through his word. The wonderful thing about the Lord is that he's chosen a variety of different ways to do that. You know, we read through the word and we find there's a people's history, there's prophecy, there's poetry, there's proverbs, there's parables, there's personal letters and correspondence. And all these different ways, God has chosen to express himself through them to us. Because he's trying to relate to us. He's so unknowable, and yet somehow he's managed to encapsulate something of his essence in the word of God that's in your hand right now. The word of God, like him, is eternal. It doesn't come in and out of fashion or season. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, it says this, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. It's eternal. The word doesn't come in and out of fashion, even though people think it does. It's not as applicable some days and not others. It's not less relevant in today's society than it was 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. The word of God is always relevant. It is not contemporary. It's timeless. And that's why we can trust it. Because everything else around you is changing. The word is life-giving. Like God. And it expresses that element of his nature to be life-giving as the source of all life. Jeremiah 15, verse 16. Jeremiah said this, Your words were found, and I ate them. My kind of guy. Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became a joy to me and the delight of my heart. You know, God's intention in writing this word, in giving it to you, is that it would find its way into your heart. That's his intention. It's not his intention for you to memorize it. It's not his intention for you to be able to quote it whenever you need to. It's his intention that it finds its way into your heart. In Jeremiah 31, verse 33, God said this, But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. God's intention is for the word to be written on our hearts. And if I can put it this way, folks, if anything less than that happens, 
God is not satisfied. If our experience of the word, it, that it doesn't imprint itself on our hearts, anything less than that is not good enough for the Lord. And it is less than his intention for you. God's intention is that the word would find its way into your heart so that it's imprinted there. And if I can put it that way, that it oozes out of your pores. You know, like when someone's been eating garlic, shed loads of garlic, and it, it sort of finds its way even to their pores and oozes out. Well, that's what the word of God is to be like to us, that it's oozing out of our pores. It's within us. It's part of us. That's God's intention. So that's why we have the word. But what does the word do? What does the word do? The word of God does so many things for us, but I want to focus on just three things today. The, the word of God is our food. The word of God is a sword. And the word is a plumb line. Food, sword, and a plumb line. It's kind of like the uh, Swiss army knife of life, if you like. It's got everything you need for life and godliness. It's food. Before we came to Christ, I remember Rich saying last week, we were spiritually dead. But when we came to Christ, our spirits within us were reborn. So now we have both a spiritual life and a physical life. And the two are interconnected and interwoven together. We need to feed our bodies, but we need to feed our spirits because we're alive spiritually. And the Word of God is our spiritual food. If you go a few days without eating, you feel it. In body or in spirit. If you're not in the Word, you'll feel it. Because your spirit will start to suffer for it. Your spirit will start to become malnourished. We have to be in the Word. We've already read that the Word is life-giving. Jeremiah said, I ate the words of the Lord, and they became a joy to my heart. You know, God has prepared a feast for us in this word. And it's to be a feast to our spirits. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of my Father. And God's will is revealed in his word. That's how we understand God's will when we read the word of God. But it's also a sword. Colossians 3 verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. And I give it to you in the message as well. I like the translation here, the rendering of the message. He says, let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. I'm going to read that to you again. Let the word of Christ, the message, have the run of the house. Give it plenty of room in your lives. So we have to ask ourselves the question, are we doing that? Are we letting the word have the run of the house? Is the word governing our lives? Is it impacting our lives? Is it imprinted on our hearts? Is it oozing out of our pores? You know, in the Gospel of John, it says that the devil comes to steal and destroy. And that's why you need a sword. Because although Jesus has already wrought the victory, although it's a defeated enemy, it's, a, it's an enemy on the run. And you need a sword because the enemy will lie to you about the things that are true. He'll twist the truth and he'll lie about it. And God has given you a sword to cut those lies down. Right where they stand. 
But we need to know the word to be able to do it. But the word is also a precision instrument as well. You know, in Hebrews 4 verse 12, it's a fantastic scripture. Most of you will know this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I'll read that again because it's such a packed couple of verses, isn't it? For the word of God is living and active, like those bio-yogurts. It works within us. Sharper than any double-edged sword. You know, a double-edged sword that the writer is talking about could actually chop a man in two from top to bottom because it was so sharp. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So the word is not only a a, a weapon of defence, a weapon that we can cut down the lies of the enemy, but it's a precision instrument as well. It's a precision instrument because it enables us to discern the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word will weigh things for you, things that people say to you, things that come up in your own heart, thoughts that arise in your mind. The word will discern whether they're good thoughts or bad thoughts whether they're healthy thoughts or unhealthy thoughts. And the word is very precise, because sometimes the flesh can be very clever in how it tries to get its own way. But the word will never let the flesh get away with that. The word will always bring the truth. The wonderful thing is, the more you read the word, the more the word reads you. That might sound like a strange thing to say, but it's true. The more you read the word, the more the word reads you. You feel that the word is starting to read your life. It's starting to get into your life and sift you and discern what your real motives are, what your attitudes are, and won't let you get away with anything other than sincerity and how we approach things. But God's will is for the word to dwell in us richly. Richly. Like any weapon, the word has to be wielded properly. You know, if I just, if I ask Sarah to stand up, I'm not going to Sarah, don't worry. But if I asked Sarah to stand up and I gave her a sword and then decided to challenge Sarah to a duel, which I'm not going to do. Shame, I know. I thought that was perhaps needed a health and safety, uh, you know, look beforehand. Then if Sarah doesn't know how to wield the sword, she's not going to last very long, is she? And it's the same for us. We need to know how to be able to wield this sword. How to be able to handle the word. Paul writes to Timothy and he says this. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. You know, it's not enough to know the word. There are lots of people that can tell you what the word says. One of them is the devil. The devil can quote it as much as he wants to. There are lots of Christians that can remember lots of things from the Word, but it's just all up here. To wield the Word is to apply the Word. In every situation we find ourselves, to find that the Word is the thing that comes into our hand. It's almost like a sword from within, if I can put it that way. You know, that this Word would dwell in us richly. 
It's a sword from within. That last scripture was 2 Timothy 2.15, by the way. 2 Timothy 2.15. The third thing is the word is a plumb line in our lives as well. It's a plumb line because the word of God doesn't change. We read from Isaiah 40 that everything else changes, but the word of God lasts forever. You know, it might sound like a simple thing, but when you read the word today and it tells you something, if you go back tomorrow and you go to the same part, the word is going to tell you the same thing. It's going to say the same thing to you. You've changed, but the word hasn't changed. The way you feel about that scripture may have changed, but the word hasn't changed. Your mood may have changed, but the word hasn't changed. You can rely on the word to tell you the same thing in every single season of your life and for it always to be true. And that's why it's reliable. If you try to build anything with a plumb line that wasn't reliable, you're going to end up with a wonky house. Now, I put my fair share of shelves up. I've got to say, I'm really good at putting shelves up. That's the limit of my DIY skill set. I can put shelves up, and they can be straight and level, perfect, in fact. But if my spirit level didn't work properly, then they wouldn't be perfect. But I can rely upon it because I know it is level. Because I've got two, so I sort of double-check them. <laughs> and then I have a laser-sighted one as well. So, If you're going to do something, do it well. Even if you can't do much, do it well. The word doesn't bend to your mood, nor to your circumstances. The word will always tell you the truth. It'll be faithful as a companion to you in that respect. And that's why the word is the thing that God chooses to speak to us through primarily. This is really important. I've met lots of Christians that say they hear the Lord all the time, but they don't read the word. God told me this, God told me that. Well, if God speaks to you, he will always, always confirm it in the word. It's his modus operandi. I'll say something to you and then I'll confirm it in the word. And if he doesn't confirm it in the word then I would urge you to question whether you've heard the Lord. It will always line up with the word. The Lord will use his own plumb line and you can confirm it in the word. His plumb line is straight. Psalm 119.105 says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The direction we take in life needs to come from the word of God. And when the word is written on your heart... You needn't worry about the decisions that you have to make in life. Sometimes Christians get very het up about making decisions and whether we've heard from the Lord. If you've got the word in you, then the decision making in your life becomes closer and closer and closer aligned to the will of God. And he'll confirm those decisions in the word for you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, he'll confirm to you. But we have to have the word in us. You know, the word is also God's own building tool. In the, in the prophet Amos, God says this, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. God builds using his own word. This is his own blueprint that he uses to build. What is he building? Well, he's building a house. Anyone know what makes up the house? It's made of stone. Living stones, Peter said. Living stones. You're the house. And God will judge the house and measure the house with his plumb line. We have to line up with the word, folks. 
individually and as a people. We have to line up with the word. And that's why the word must always be supreme. That's why our doctrine must be confirmed in the word. And it mustn't be something that's just the latest thought or trend. It needs to be the timeless word of God. And that might sound a simple thing to say, but that's becoming more and more profound. And it's becoming, sadly, more and more rare as people are abandoning using the word as their sole plumb line and listening to the word of man instead. So my life will be judged by the word. You know, when you get to glory, you will be subject to judgment. It's not the judgment against righteousness because you are justified in Christ. But your life and how much you have laid hold of all that God has got for you, you will be judged against and you'll be rewarded accordingly. Paul said, I want to lay hold of everything for which God laid hold of me. I want to strain at the bit to lay hold of every single part of my calling, to use every single gifting that he's put within me. Because Paul knew that when he got to glory, that the word, the plumb line, would be applied to his life and judged against it. I think that's an awesome thing. And I think that means I don't have a day to waste in laying hold of those things. But all of those things, God will reveal to me through his word. Third thing, how do we consume the word? How do we consume it? I've got some, this is the the really practical bit, some do's and don'ts here for consuming the word. Let's start with the don'ts. I always like to start with the bad news and come on to the good news. Let's start with the don'ts. Okay. Don't vary your frequency. Daily bread. There's just no way around this one is daily bread. That means we need to consume the word daily. It's non-negotiable as far as the Lord is concerned. We have to bring some discipline into this, folks. We have to discipline ourselves. We cannot function on feelings, whether I feel in a word-type mood today, or whether I just feel like listening to some worship music and floating around the kitchen. There's no condemnation for us, but there is malnourishment. If we don't read the word, our spirits will be the poorer for it. Our spirits will be weaker for it. And I have found from experience that when that happens, usually you run into a situation pretty much the next day when you need the word, when you need to be in top shape. And it's like an athlete training for an event. You need to be ready. You need to be ready for God to be able to use you. And as he said to us today, to extend the kingdom and to move through us, we need to be in the word every day. Second don't. Don't get stuck in a rut. Routine is good. Rut is bad. If you get stuck in a rut, then it's become lifeless. Reading the word has become a chore. It's just something that you do going through the motions. What did we say about the intention? God's intention is for it to be life-giving and for it to find its way into your heart. You know, if you're stuck in a rut, reading the word, the word will not find its way into your heart. You know what'll happen? It'll go in here and it'll come straight out here like that. That's what'll happen. So how do we guard against that? We need to be full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was given the job of overseeing the construction of this word. And the Holy Spirit is the one that can make it come alive to us. If you ask the Holy Spirit every time you come to the Word to make it come alive to you, to speak to you, 
and ask the Spirit to fill your heart, I defy you not to be nourished by the Word. Because every single time, God will be faithful to bring something to you from the Word of God. But let's be honest, as often is the case, it's not God that lets us down, it's we let ourselves down. We approach the Word in the wrong way, and we're not full of the Spirit. We're just going through the motions. Don't get stuck in a rut. Okay, here's the do's. Do vary your diet. Okay, this is food. We don't all eat the same thing every day. Well, maybe some of us do. But variety in a diet is good. There are different translations. Some translations are very literal. Some translations are word for word. Some translations are less literal and closer to what we call thought for thought. Literal versus what's called dynamic equivalent. So, for example, you could have the New King James Version, which is quite literal. The New American Standard Version is very literal. The RSV, that's a very literal version. And then there are some that are not quite so literal, but a looser translation. Does that mean they're any less accurate? No, it doesn't mean they're any less accurate. The translators of these Bibles have looked at the original texts And there are times when you translate from one language to another and you have to take into account the language you're translating into. You know, in the last sort of month or so, I've been browsing the internet looking for accommodation for a holiday in Germany this year. We're going to go to Germany, try some schnitzel, um, enjoy the lakes. And we've never been there before as a family. So I started looking on the internet for accommodation and realized pretty quickly that some people that had put their... Uh, self-catering accommodation on were Germans who had tried to translate for themselves um, and Germans speak very good English but they don't always get every single nuance so a lot of them had a wellness area uh, which I took to mean the sauna Um, some of them the translation just didn't work very well so in in German you might say um, uh, Haustiere sind verboten which would mean uh, no no pets please Haustiere pets but it just came across as pets are forbidden, uh, or rauchen is verboten, which is smoking is forbidden. You know, we would say no smoking or no pets allowed or anything, but it just come, it came across, didn't quite translate, shall we say. <laughs> so sometimes translation needs a little help, shall we say. And it's the same with the word. Translating from the original Hebrew text or from the Greek, there are just nuances that have to be carried across. And the loose of the translation, generally like the NIV, the New Living Translation, which is a looser translation than the the NIV, can be easier to read. I read the NKJV for five years. I called it penance. Um, I just felt that as a serious student of the word, I should read a literal translation. And let me be honest, I found it hard work. Because the words were quite stilted. Because it was a literal translation. And it lacked flow. Personally, I have found, this is just my personal recommendation, there are times that the new living is a little too loose and it can lose some of the essence of the meaning. The English Standard Version, on the other hand, (laughs) strikes a balance very well between literal and flowing. It strikes a balance very well. But you know what? The answer is not to have one translation. Have a good translation that is your main Bible that you use Make sure it's got footnotes at the bottom where there are any 
um, shall we say, disagreements about the renderings or about the original text, so that it gives you all the information. But read other translations. There are paraphrases. Paraphrases are really sort of one step beyond a thought-for-thought translation. It's really when the author's looked at it and said, I'm going to sum this up completely in my own words. So you've got J.B. Phillips, which was written in the 40s, but is still a fantastic uh, rendering. And of course, we've got the message that lots of you will know. They're very good for reading huge chunks of scripture. You know, sometimes I'll sit down and I'll just read the whole of, well, sometimes the whole of Romans or the whole of 1 Corinthians in a sitting. In the message, you can just read it very quickly. You can certainly read a lot of the smaller letters and some of the smaller books in the Old Testament as well. And they give you a general sense that you'll get something different out of it than if you're reading just a small portion of scripture. But the answer here, folks, is use different translations at different times and vary how much of the scriptures you're going to read. Some days it will be good just to read a few verses and let the Holy Spirit speak to you and to meditate on that and chew it like a a cow chewing the grass all day long. And other times it's good to read a whole chunk of scripture and just get a general sense of what God is doing. God will speak to you in a different way. And that's how we avoid getting into a rut. Okay. So do vary your diet. There are different translations. There are paraphrases. There are different styles in the word. We've already said that there are different types of literature in the word. Go to different places in the word and you'll find different things. Yes, even in places like Leviticus, you will find that God will speak to you in a different way. If you struggle in any of those areas, let me say this. Come and ask someone for help. Don't sit and suffer. Because some people think, I've, I've really got to keep at this. I think if I just keep at Leviticus, I'm going to crack it. One day, this is going to come alive to me, and I'll just preach to everyone from Leviticus. You know, if you're struggling in an area like that, talk to someone. Talk to people around you. You'll be surprised how much people can help you in the Word and share their experiences in the same parts of Scripture. The last do is this. Do vary your meal times. You need to find what works best for you. Remember, this is life-giving. This is not meant to be, you will get up at 6 o'clock. I'm going for a German accent now. I must do that. You will get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. You will read for 30 minutes. No more, no less. This is not how we need to approach the word. Some of us are morning people. I don't know why I said us. Some of you are morning people. Some of us are night people. Some of us are able to read the word late at night without nodding off every night after two minutes. You need to find the time that works for you. Sometimes we persist in a time that's just not working for us. Find a time that works to you, but stick with it. And read different things at different times of day. You know, there's times when I will just pick up the word and just read a few verses in the morning because I'm rushing out. Those of you that have to rush out at different times for meetings maybe to do with your work, and and you don't have a a set routine, sometimes it's good just to do that in the morning, so you've got something of the word, and then come back to it later in the day. So you need to find what works for you. But always remember the goal. What is God's intention? What does God want to happen in this time? It's for his word to be written on my heart. If it's not written on my heart, this is a waste of time. And God doesn't want me to do that. He doesn't want me to waste my time. He wants it to be life-giving to me. You know, God gets what he wants. You just have to line yourself up with that, and it will happen. Next one. How do we use the word? 
How do we use the Word of God? You know, Jesus is the Word, but you know what strikes me is that He needed the Word. You think, hang on, He was the Word of God. Yes, but He needed the Word, because God uses His own plumb line. And let me put it this way to you. If Jesus needed the Word, how much more do you think you need the Word? If Jesus, the Son of God, needed to wield the sword of the Word, how much more do you think you and I need that Speaks for itself. Let's go to Matthew 4. Matthew chapter 4. Matthew 4. Matthew 4. What I want to look at is Jesus using the word. Because Jesus sets us a great example here of how he uses the word of God. The devil comes to him three times. And I think he demonstrates the three... um, things that the word does for us. We've talked about the word being food for our spirits, about being a sword, a sword of the spirit, it says in Ephesians. Is that right, Andrew? I thought you were one of those spiritual people that could quote the word. (laughs) You see? In Ephesians, it's the sword of the spirit. And whether he uses his father's plumb line. Okay, the first thing is in verses 3 to 4. So, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I've got to be honest with you, for some reason I said this to Rich, when he was speaking last week about fasting, I got really hungry, and my stomach started rumbling, and I was thinking, this is just not right, really. (laughs) I think my stomach's listening to the messages and is reacting in, in anticipation of what's coming. I need to show it who's boss. Thank you, Rich. Verses 3 to 4. So the devil said, tempter, said to Jesus, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But it is written, Jesus answered, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he knew that the word was his food for his spirit. What Satan was tempting him to do was to give in to the demands of his flesh But also, if I can put it this way, the demands of his circumstances. And circumstances will make demands of us, usually through our bodies, through our minds, through our feelings, through our emotions. But circumstances will always make a demand on you. But he, because he had the word in him, he knew that there was a bigger picture here. He knew that God's provision, the most important thing, was spiritual food. And if I can put it this way, he knew that he needed to dominate his body, that his spirit was to be in charge and not his flesh. The devil was tempting him to get around that. He knew that his spirit was the head and his body was the tail. Yeah? You know, when our bodies are in control, coming back to some of the things that Rich said last week, it really is the tail wagging the dog. And that's been the case for some of us, I believe, that our bodies sometimes dominate and our spirits should be dominating. The whole process of sanctification is that you learn that your spirit needs to subjugate your body. Sometimes I wonder why the Lord has ordered salvation in this way. Why did we get saved in spirit, but we've still got these bodies, and they're still imperfect, and they're still decaying? Why didn't God just change our bodies? Why do we have to wait? So that you can learn to subjugate your body, and in so doing, your spirit grows stronger and stronger. So that process is deliberate on the Lord's behalf to make you stronger, to prepare you for everything that he's got for you to do in the age to come. 
this is your testing ground, this is your training, the main event is yet to come for you. And all that you're going through and all of your circumstances, they make demands on you, but God has allowed them to come into your life so that you can learn with the help of the word of God to make your spirit strong and to subjugate all of your physicality until one day your spirit will completely envelop all of your spirituality. And as Paul says to the Corinthians, the mortal will put on immortality, the perishable will be enveloped by imperishability. It's not even a word, but I love it. So the second thing is this, verse 5 to 7. Then the devil took him to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. He's good at quoting scripture, isn't he, the devil? Then Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You know, what the devil was tempting him to do this time was to do things his way. In other words, to circumvent God's will for his life. Look, you can speed all this up. Man, you don't need to go through all this stuff. Why don't you just throw yourself off? God will save you. The people will see who you are. Job done. We can all go home for tea and cakes. That was the devil's approach. You know, the Lord said, no. My father has set my path for me, and the word tells me that. He used the sword of the spirit to cut down the lies of the enemy. And you know, the enemy is often very subtle in the things that he says to us, either directly or through others. Very subtle. And we have to know the word, and the word will help us to discern the motives of both others, the motives of the enemy, and sometimes even the motives of our own hearts. I think it's Jeremiah again that says the heart can be deceitful above all things. And he's talking about the emotions, the seat of emotions there. He's not talking about our spirits, you know, when we talk about hearts. Jesus cut through all of the enemy's lies. But also, the, the, if I can put it this way, the sword was also sifting Jesus' heart, his motives as well, to see if his motives were right, and they were. Jesus was prepared to wait for God's timing. And he said, do not test the Lord your God. You know that scripture? I don't know if you've ever looked it up. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. It's in Deuteronomy 6, 6, 16. It's part of the law. But he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. And it's referring further back to Exodus 17, where the, Moses struck the rock. And the people in the desert were moaning that God had brought them out of, his, uh, out of Egypt to be thirsty and hungry in the desert. And they didn't trust that God had their best intention for them. They were questioning God's own motives. And that's what testing the Lord is, to say in a particular situation, to say, I'm not even sure God's for me in this. I'm not sure God has my best intentions at heart, because it just seems to be unpleasurable for me. And that's when we need to bring the word in and say, no, the word tells me that God works all things together for good for those who are called according to the purpose. And I'm called according to the purpose of God. So he'll work this for good. That includes my good. So it was quite ironic, really, that Jesus quoted that, because he is the rock, the rock of Christ. The last thing was he built with the Father's plumb line. In verse 8 to 11, the devil comes back to him again. This time he ups the ante. He's persistent. He ups the ante, and he says this. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You know, Satan up the ante by offering him all the, the glory of the world. In other words, the world sometimes presents us with ever bigger distractions. And the world will keep coming back and presenting you in your life with bigger things, bigger things to distract you from the purposes of God in your life. But the word, if you apply it as your plumb line, the word will always keep you on track. It'll always remind you of the central purpose, why you're here what you're here to serve, God's purpose to build the kingdom through you. You know, the other thing that the world does, it promises us things that Jesus has already died to give us. You know, all of that glory that the devil was talking about, it wasn't his to give. He was about to lose it all in Jesus' victory. Jesus was going to get all of the glory. And the world will often promise us things that God has already given us and died to give us. He's already proved it. The world makes empty promises to us. The enemy will make empty promises to us. And we mustn't get distracted from the course. We have to let the word of God set our priorities in life. You know, when you make major decisions in your life, they have to come from the word of God. If the word is in you, the plumb line will be applied and you'll know what's right, you'll know what's wrong, you'll know what can be a distraction to that which you've been called to do and that which is in line with God's purpose for you. If you have the word of God living and active within you. We need to build with a straight line, a plumb line. And that's what Jesus was doing. So what have we learned? The word of God is to be life to us. That's God's intention for you. That this word brings life to you every single day of your life that it feeds your spirit and makes you strong. He wants his word to be so indelibly written upon you that it seeps out of your pores. And that doesn't mean you can quote it verbatim, by the way. It means that the way you think, the way you act, is always flavoured with the word of God. The way that you pray, the scripture will spill out from your tongue when you pray. The word of God will strengthen your inner man so that you're strong on the inside. It'll protect us from sin and from the enemy and it'll enable us to build God's kingdom with our lives. You know, God is building a kingdom here, folks. An eternal kingdom that will never know an end to its increase. And your part of that is to be, as we said earlier, a living stone. And we need to apply the plumb line to every aspect of our lives and say, do they line up with the word? All of these things in our lives. And if they do then God can use us to build his kingdom. A kingdom that will weather any storm, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, a kingdom that is full of joy and peace and righteousness, just as the scripture promises us. And it's all rooted in whether the word of God is going into our hearts. Amen? Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given to us, Lord. Your word is life to us, and we thank you for that, Lord. And right now we ask you, 
God of heaven, to make your word living and active in our lives. Father, where we need help, we pray that you would bring others alongside us to help us in your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that every single day, you will remind us, Lord, to ask you to fill us with yourself and to lead us into fresh revelation in your word, to feed us from your word, Lord. Lord, we don't want to go through the motions. We don't want to be stuck in a rut. We don't want to be stuck in a routine. Lord, we just want to experience life in your word. And we're so glad, Lord, that that is your intention and that is your will. And so we say, Lord, let your will be done in our lives. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Thanks for listening today. For more information about Living Rock Church and for more great teaching, visit www.livingrockchurch.org.uk.